Hello, and welcome back to the show. I'm Liz Wilson. And I am Christoph Defoe. Today's episode features a conversation Christoph and I had with our friend Zoe Heath. Zoe is a queer activist who works tirelessly to uplift and advocate for the LGBTQ community. But first, I want to remind you that if you like our show, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, check out our Patreon, and tell your friends to listen. New episodes post Mondays at noon Eastern on all the major podcast channels. Also, be sure to check out our sponsor, Cannibal & Co., located in downtown Jersey City and at shopcannibal.com. We're grateful to Cannibal for sponsoring our show. So, Defo, what's on your mind today? Hmm, Liz, thanks for the question. What is on my mind today? Well, obviously, our conversation... Um, with Zoe is on my mind and it was really it was really just a great conversation and, and there's been a lot going on just in my life as well we um, we've been away for a couple of weeks right so we haven't put out a show in a while so I'm glad mm-hmm. to be back and um, right uh, we've been on vacation I've been doing some motorcycling um, I my house has been resided so it's been it, it was like living inside a I like to say it was like living inside a beating drum for like a <laughs> week and a half and so that's one of the reasons why we didn't record a show because it was just mm-hmm. too damn loud. Um, but uh, but look, I mean, I, I kind of feel like it's post-summer. We're getting back in the swing of things, um, you know, and uh, and it, it's scary because it's countdown to the election and it's like, what are what world are we going to be looking at after mm-hmm. November? So I don't know. How about you, Liz? Yeah, I mean, along those lines, yes, we've been off for a few weeks. And yes, I went on vacation and I caught COVID. We did the classic thing that everyone seems to be going through or went through this summer where they finally go away for the first time in three years. And the whole family and half the people that we were staying with all came down with COVID. Um, So that was an adventure. um, (laughs) So luckily, I didn't actually start feeling sick until we got home. But what it did mean is that I was on top of vacation. I was then out of commission for like another week and a half. So yeah. Um, And and it coincided with these kids going back to school. So it's been a lot. Um, I do feel like it's settling down a little bit now, though. And yeah, this doesn't this happen every year where it's like the summer is over and then boom, you're like, fuck, there's pumpkin spice lattes already. I'm (laughs) not ready. Then it's going to be like New Year's. What? Not even mentioning midterms, you know, I feel like I've been pushing that to the back of my head. Right. I I went to the mall the other day to get a to get a shirt and I haven't been in the mall in a long time and I don't recommend it. But I went to the mall. I don't know when I went to the mall last (laughs) How 1996 of you. Honestly, I walked in there and it looked like something out of 1996. (laughs) And I could just walk in and smell the capitalism, Mm -hmm. you know, just like Auntie and like Auntie Anne's pretzels, Uh popcorn and capitalism. Um, (laughs) But also uh, there was Christmas decorations. Oh, my God. I'm not even joking. They, like they had some fall decorations, but also some Christmas decorations. So, oh my god, yeah, yeah. So anyway, I walked some b- by somebody's house and they had a pumpkin out front last week, and I I thought they were fucking crazy. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, but uh, but anyway, so it, it's been nuts. But yeah, but it's this is a great way I think to get back into it with this conversation with yeah. uh, with Zoe, and it's I think it's. Um, I think that everyone's going to really enjoy it. Yeah, it was it was a really great way to jump right back into this and 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 especially going into the election season and uh, get refocused on the ball, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree. And on that note, let's jump into our conversation with Zoe Heath. 
Welcome to the show, Zoe. Thanks for taking the time to talk with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. How about you introduce yourself to us and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. So my name is Zoe Heath. I use she, her, and herself pronouns. And I am the founder of Sussex County Pride, a rural LGBTQ plus advocacy organization in New Jersey. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's start off with a question for you. So the Republican Party has been part the party of bigotry since, you know, at least Reagan. Um, everyone who's paying attention and who's not caught up in a cult of personality knows that. But the GOP of 2022 is obviously not the GOP of 1981. The modern GOP is like full-on Christo-fascist, right? In the service of their craving for unchecked power, GOP lawmakers and their accomplices in the media have identified anti-gay and especially anti-trans rhetoric and legislation as the perfect shiny object to dangle in front of their constituency, you know, distract them from the GOP's ruthless economic policies. From your perspective, what is the most troubling, let's say, element of the GOP's war on the LGBT community? So the truly the most troubling element is how it's focusing on youth, um, how it's perpetuating the notion that um, you can be turned gay by exposure, how, you know, it's unsafe to have parents give gender affirming care or let kids explore their sexualities and things like that. Um, it, most of the legislation that we're seeing, most of the pundits that are talking, they're specifically targeting LGBTQ plus youth and trans kids. They don't want trans kids to be able to play sports. They don't want trans kids to be able to use the same bathroom. It is deeply troubling, not only because they're kids, they, they're mm-hmm. not, they shouldn't have to worry about what state they live in and whether or not they can play sports. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's so deeply troubling because those are communities that are so, so vulnerable. Right. 78% of LGBTQ plus youth say that they're harassed at school mm-hmm. and they don't need to be getting harassed from the state house. So that is truly the most deeply troubling part of it to me. So it's really, mm-hmm. it's just, it's evil to me. And it's incredibly unfortunate that we have become the scapegoat of this post-Trump election cycle. Because it wasn't this bad four years ago. I mean, there was anti-trans legislation. There were, um, you know, there were straight pride rallies in Boston. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in Sussex County, we had a pride flag get set on fire twice this year. (gasps) This year. In the year of Joe Biden and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, This has been the most violent year for the transgender community. And we have seen the most legislation across the country in state houses against the LGBTQ plus community. So even though the hatred of the LGBTQ plus community has always been there for those for the religious right, for the really right wing of the Republican Party. Now they're using us as the scapegoat for the midterms and for the 2024 election. And it's only going to get worse from here. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. Totally. I, do you do you find? I mean, I'm interested to hear your perspective on this, and I I think you're absolutely right. Obviously, because I mean, the, 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 they have just moved on to the new thing, right? I mean, it there it used to be during the in, in 2020, it was black people and the Black Lives Matter movement, right? And and Antifa and whatever else. Before that, it was a migrant caravan. Do you remember that era? And before that, it was Muslims, right? And before that, it was Muslims. I mean, no one happens to care about Muslims anymore, it seems, right? But 
they always just find a new target for their bigotry and really it's really craven because it has everything to do with just acquiring power a lot of these people don't care about any of this one way or the other right it really is just about acquiring power i wonder though um what do you is the democratic party and joe biden and the that are they doing enough so are they doing enough to to, to protect to protect these kids it, it's a double-edged sword you know because on one hand no administration has ever done this much for the LGBTQ plus community. Like we have never had legislation like the Equality Act even enter the House. It hasn't passed the Senate yet, but it's never entered the House. But, uh, Joe Biden, you know, he rolled back the transgender military military service ban, which is huge. If you were trans in the military, you would have to stop your transition or not be able to transition at all, which was, you know, wildly, uh, you know, dysmorphic and unfortunate and, you know, it deterred a lot of people from service or just they would, you know, try to leave. Um, But so on one hand, nothing like this has ever happened before. We've seen huge strides. And on the other hand, the Equality Act still hasn't passed the Senate. The president hasn't done any executive orders. Um, I, I worry, you know, the House tried to codify equal marriage, but that didn't pass the Senate and it probably won't. They're, you know, stalling on it until the midterms. And I really fear that um, like the Republican Party is using us as a fear, as a scapegoat for their base who think that you can get turned gay because there's chemicals in the water like Alex Jones. Um, I fear that the Democrats are using are just waiting until, you know, the election cycle is close enough to do something. Oh, look. It's, you know, we are 49 days out from Election Day. In the next 30 days, who knows? Maybe they will pass some legislation just to say, hey, look what we did. Go vote November 8th. Um, I, I don't think they're not doing anything. They're doing far more. And, you know, like I, you know, in New Jersey specifically, if we talk about New Jersey politics, the Democratic Party here, it has been wildly... Um, supportive of the LGBTQ plus community. Gay marriage is codified into our constitution. We do have equal sex ed in schools. They teach LGBTQ plus history in schools. We're one of the only states in America where conversion therapy is illegal to perform on minors. Um, so on one hand, there are efforts that have been made and can be taken and that Democratic officials are taking across the country. It just hasn't reached that national level and I don't want us to be something we pull out for election season to turn out the gay vote. Because listen, we vote. We're consistent voters. You know, LGBTQ people are often considered, you know, they, they donate to races. Um, but this election cycle is also too important to just wait until the election season to do something. We should be constantly considering the LGBTQ community um, when we write legislation, when we lobby with Congress, just because conversion therapy is legal on a federal level. You can, even to minors, um, you, we have federally protected adoption, but there are still religious exemptions in 13 states. Um, and that's something that the federal government could do something about, but they're not because they're just waiting until the midterms of the presidential election is close enough to do something. Like, for example, we saw with student loan debt. President Biden could have done that day one, but President Biden could have done that day one uh, but he waited until um, his poll numbers were really low when we were about 60, right. 70 days after the election. Right, right. Uh, Which I get that's how it works, but 
you know, yeah. not when people's lives are at stake. Well, no one wants to feel like a pawn in the political game when it's their actual rights at, at stake. You know, that makes me wonder if it's it feels like the right is sort of using LGBTQ stuff. It's like their new boogeyman, because I think that. I mean, it's always been something that they lean on, but I feel like it's a little maybe heavier now. I look at what's happening with abortion, right? And sort of these like, like what happened in Kansas and how it's starting to look like abortion is an issue that is going to favor the Democrats in terms of turnout. So I wonder if this is one of the Republicans strategies is they're like, well, let's go real hard on, you know, on the gays because we can really get people to come out and vote against that stuff because there is so much bigotry still in this country. Um, and the thing, too, is that um, with abortion, that was their issue. It was their issue ever since Roe v. Wade. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, people like to forget that there were a lot of churches before Roe v. Wade who helped women get abortions. You know, the New York Diocese had a huge integral role in getting college girls yeah. uh, access to an abortion. Um and this is morbid, but the base who really cares about that, who that's their terrifying issue, um, they're dying out. You know, there's pe- there's young people who believe that they're, you know, pro-life, forced birth, whatever. Um, but the vast majority of people who are really terrified about abortion, um, they're dying out. Mm-hmm. And that it's true that equal marriage is, I believe it's 70% Americans approve of that. You know, it's not a big issue. It's the transgender and non-binary community that mm-hmm. they're specifically targeting that yeah. I see a lot of youth still have prejudice with. Not yeah. youth as in children, like teens and tweens, but like college kids, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, older teenagers and, you know, nature versus nurture, it's not taught, but they're making this, they want to make it a really big issue. And it's because they want people to be scared. The Republican party thinks that people need to be scared to support them. Um, and it's at the expense again of the most vulnerable population in the LGBTQ plus community. You know, the vast majority of violence against the LGBTQ plus community is against trans people, but it's, I believe 80%, 75% of those instances of violence are against black trans women specifically. So it, they're attacking these vulnerable populations and the people who are really suffering, you know, aren't white lesbians like me, even though we do have instances of violence, it's marginalized communities in more ways than one. It's trans black women who are really feeling the brunt of this cultural war that is being pushed by the right. And it and isn't that the problem, right? Because and this is and this is one of my just just huge pet peeves. Um, pet peeves is a gross understatement, which one of my things that drives me fucking crazy. And that is right. Just what you're saying there, Zoe, is that the folks that end up bearing the brunt of this, whether it be um, uh, abortion, anti-abortion legislation, whether it be anti-trans legislation, are always the marginalized folks, right? And that and 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 it's always the brown people, right? It's always the impoverished people. That's who ends up and, and who are obviously disproportionately black and brown and women, right? Um, and they're the people who end up bearing the brunt of this. And what drives me crazy is that you have middle class white folks. 
whose lives are never actually touched by this, right? So if I live, if I'm a woman in Texas who is, who makes 80, 90, dollars $20,000 a year, I can always fly to New York. I can always fly, I can always drive to New Mexico, but it's the poor person who's not going to be able to do that and who ends up having to, ha- having to be talking about forced birth or the trans person who can't get gender affirming care, right? That's what ends up happening. So, um, and what ends up happening, and I know you two know this already, but is that, it, 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 I think that it it creates a sense of complacency among among people who don't really have to worry about it, right? Well, it's not going to affect me personally, right? It's sort of those people out there, and that's one of the things that really drives me cra- crazy because I think it undermines. Um, you were saying earlier too, right? The folks who have the power to vote, the people with the houses, right? The people with the people that 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 politicians actually listen to are not the same people who are directly impacted by these right. policies. And there's a mismatch there. And that's why we sit here, right? And we have these kind of conversations and, and, and tear our hair out. It also goes along with this idea of dehumanizing, right? That we, Defo and I talk about this all the time, the way that you... Um, can justify to yourself taking away rights from an entire group of people is by dehumanizing them. And I I see that happening so clearly, especially with the trans community right now. When you talk about it happening to children, right, then you're also doing it to, as to your point, Defo, people who have don't have the power in society, right? Like some of the most marginalized people are trans children who literally can't even vote to get their rights back. That's right. That's right. It's really interesting how conservatives, anyone who uh, like Lindsey Graham bringing in this this bill and he's so constrained by his worldview that he doesn't understand how that would fire people up. Right. Like it seems like it just seems like a crazy thing to do going into November. Right. I mean, I know he thinks he's going to fire up his base, but he's so far up his own ass. It's (laughs) it's. Uh, it's wild to me also because his initial proposal was six weeks and the 15 week was his concession uh-huh. with uh, his fellow Republicans, which is just so unbelievably wild to me. Um, and to touch on the white woman note for one woman, for one minute, for one woman, uh-huh. um, <laughs> to touch on the white lady note for a minute. Um, the most frustrating part of um the privilege I see with upper middle class, you know, white women is that, you know, when they go to the protests and stuff, which is great, they can use their bodies for justice. They're dressed up in like Handmaid's Tale uh, Mm -hmm. costumes. It's like, this really is a movie for you. Like you get to play dress up, you get to be a little revolutionary. um, And then you go home to your $400,000 house um, and be safe. Um, yeah. And it's just like, it's just so frustrating to me, firstly, because um, Margaret Atwood, who wrote The Handmaid's Tale, um, knows that. Mm-hmm. Um, and she wrote it specifically because it, it was never going to be the wealthy white women who were held captive in this, you know, Christo fascist land of Gilead. It was going to be poor people. Mm-hmm. It was going to be poor women. Um, many of them women of color, um, who had no option to just go to Canada. They had no option to get out. You know, it was going to be people who had no resources. Um, and it's the same, you know, I saw during the, uh, the Black Lives Matter, you know, when the height of the protests and stuff, people, you know, young kids especially were like posting clips of the Hunger Games and of like, you know, how in the, in the movies, um, 
there's you know a revolution towards them they're like you really you really had us watch this and thought this wasn't how we were going to turn out and it's like young lady you are on tiktok <laughs> using cap cut you are not katniss everdeen in this situation um <laughs> get out so right. Right. yeah um, right. it's just like people it's like there's people who get excited when they get to go to a protest. It's like, Ooh, I'm going to go make my signs. And like, I'm going to wear this cute outfit and get like cute pictures. And like tell people that I'm standing up for justice. And mm-hmm. it's like, great. Thanks for coming. What else are you doing? Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Like, we, are you yeah. doing voter outreach? Are you registering people to vote? Are you donating to mutual aid funds? Are you spreading the word about legislation like this? Are you calling your legislators? Are you testifying in front of the state house? Like, right. I know that not everyone can do everything, but if your action stops at protesting, then you were just there for social media and a photo op. Yeah. And that's the real frustration to me, because that's exactly what those people who wear those Handmaid's Tale costumes are doing. That's exactly what those people who come to Pride take a picture with a drag queen and leave are doing. Mm. Like Pride is commemorating a riot against police brutality. Like, and a lot of people, a lot of people, you know, we've talked about Stonewall a lot, you know, now that, you know, it's coming to the mainstream where people give a shit about queer history in the past few years. Um, But the Stonewall riot lasted about a week. Um, People did not stop because they were so fed up with what was police brutality. You know, nobody died, thank God, but they had been specifically targeted for over a decade. The state licensing agency raid on places that serve the LGBTQ plus community and sex workers started in 1959. And it wasn't until 1969 that people in the village did something. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, and I get that, you know, it's also a celebration of our, our community and that, you know, nothing will take our joy. And we talk about that when we do Sussex County pride, cause we do, you know, our big annual rally, but it can be fun. It can be a celebration of queer joy, something that we, used to never be able to see. Um, but it's so important to remember that like people fought for this. People lost their livelihoods over this. People were thrown out over this. Um, and it's not just, you know, a fun little thing mm-hmm. to do in June. It's not just a party. Yeah. 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 It can be both, you know, it can right. be a celebration and a protest just because I feel like those crystal fascists, nothing makes them angrier than seeing people who are still joyous um, against what all what all of them are doing and, still and being fully able to live their living lives. their own experience. You know, fully being who they are and not subscribing to this these boxes that they want us to be in. Something that I see that is so common a thread through all this is that it. I just. <sighs> The fact that you can't get people to rally around, you know, Rovember unless their own rights. It's on a (laughs) t-shirt. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But like if if it becomes about them, then it matters, right? And so you think about this sort of like depersonalization of things and how people can't get behind a movement in a real way beyond just like, so look, you look at people going to protests and stuff and that's all they're doing. Again, like you're saying, great, go to protests. That's important. But if that's all you're doing, then all you're doing is burning off your own anger. And it's so that's about you. That's not actually about trying to improve things, right? So it's actually one of the things that we want to focus on in this pod in general is taking our outrage and our our 
all of, all the feelings that about these issues and how do we go beyond just burning it off screaming on a podcast like what are real life tangible things that we can do because for me part of this is about personalizing things that are not actually happening to us and i think one of the ways that we can do that is to share our stories. Everybody share your stories and listen to people's stories and believe them, take them at face value. Because the more you can see other people's humanity and full humanity, the more it will impact you. It does offend you personally, right? Um, those of us who are passionate about social justice, and I count all three of us among that group, we talk about these devastating issues. You know, We talk about homophobia, misogyny, racism, sexism, climate change. In abstract terms, we advocate on behalf of, quote, LGBTQ plus folks or on behalf of, quote, the black community. We have we, we don't often have conversations about how these issues affect us personally. Like, what is the toll that it takes on our body? <laughs> um, so on this podcast, we believe that we're at our best when we're sharing our personal experiences and our strength and our hope with each other. Um, so. Maybe you could talk to us a little bit about how living in this world, this often anti-LGBTQ plus world that doesn't always see your rights as universal, <laughs> how does that affect you on a personal level? And also, I'd love to hear if you have any coping mechanisms to share with the with the listeners. Yeah, sure. Um Contrary to the everything about me, I actually went to Catholic school for the first 12 years of my life. Me too. Me too. Oh my God. We're the Catholic school friends. <laughs> well, look, yeah, we all Catholic school people. <laughs> um, oh my gosh, that's so funny. I, um, I went to two different Catholic schools. Um, one had a normal name. It was called St. Joe's. And one had a dumb name. It was called the Immaculate Conception. Um, which is just like. What? <laughs> so ridiculous um none of the catholic schools i went to exist anymore um they all consolidated to be like one big school so i'm not you know talking smack about an institution that exists so. <laughs> um no and i um i my, my like growing up my experience was different just because i was this weird kid being raised by a single dad who did not give a single fuck, um, <laughs> like a way, a way too heightened level of, um, self-confidence. <laughs> um, just because it was like, I knew what I enjoyed, you know, I liked weird stuff and not all of my classmates did. So it was kind of isolating. Mm -hmm. Um, and I remember the first time be having like queer rage, um was when my when when immaculate conception banned lady gaga songs from the school dances what? um well because all right so i'm dating myself here and i'm really sorry <laughs> it was 2011 and the born this way album had just come out and lady gaga i love lady gaga a lot she's like my queer mm -hmm. i love her mm -hmm. um she dropped the music video for Judas on Good Friday. Ah. Oh, um, I love which it. Was I just, love it. <laughs> which really taught me about 
being too much. Um, and I take that <laughs> to heart every day. But they Love had it. like a Love school it. dance, and I got you know I was I got in trouble for wearing a Lady Gaga shirt. Like they wouldn't play any of her songs, and I was like, this is fucked up. Like I get to like what I like. Mm-hmm. Um, having no idea then that it was just a little lesbian. But um, <laughs> no, I um, I have always wanted to do you know, something for my community, even before I knew it was my community. You know, when I was younger, I was like, oh, girl power, ba, ba, ba. And I remember in, when I was a freshman in high school, I found this organization called Girl Up. And it's a United Nations organization that would teach, uh, that would um, use the advocacy of of young women, teens, um, in high school and college, they would create their own clubs and they would basically fundraise and advocate for girls in developing countries, um, in places like Myanmar. And, um, I can't think of another one, even there were like five at the time. I think they've expanded their program, but it basically, it would get girls access to education. You know, they would fundraise for bikes to girls so they could get to school. They would advocate against, you know, FGMs, female genital mutilation, um, and they had this leadership conference in DC and it was basically how to start your own club, how to do this. And then on the third day, it was a lobby day with Congress. Mm. Um, and it was an incredibly informative experience. And the goal of the conference was to leave if you hadn't already to start your own girl up club, get all these things. And I left thinking, you know, all of this was amazing and I want to do the girl up thing, but my school needs queer representation more. Mm. Um, and I ended up starting um, the, one of the first straight alliances Sussex County had ever seen, Yay. Um, which was really cool. And people in my class knew I was gay. I was very open about it. I was very clear about it. I would make jokes about it because I'm hilarious. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like those are people in my grade. But that was the first time that everyone knew I was gay Mm. um administration teachers students um and it was interesting because at first I had no idea why everyone knew who I was um (laughs) I was like yeah teacher I've never had you in class before how do you know my name like um and I was obnoxious in a good way I think a little bit of being obnoxious is great Mm -hmm. um every day we had a meeting yeah. Every day we had a meeting, I would wear the pride flag on my back, like a cape, um, to promote it. Like, oh my gosh, why are you wearing a cape? Oh my gosh, we have a GSA meeting today. Like, you should come. Um, <laughs> it, which had its ups and downs, but you know, it was, um, I'm glad that I did it. But my junior year, 2016, um, you know, the election happened. Mm. And I... You know, I had done my fair share of, ad, of you know, advocacy. You know, I had phone banked for Bernie Sanders. You know, when he lost the primary, I did my good little Democratic duty, text banked for Hillary, you know, just because I know we talked about it briefly before, but despite being pawns in the political sphere, I would much rather be the pawn of somebody who's going to pretend to care about me. Yeah. Um, and to this day, I that's what I do. I try to get Democrats elected, local Democrats. Fuck the the national people don't need my help. No. They've got more money than I can ever dream of. Right. But right. you know, as far as state house down, that yeah. is what I do. I try to get good people elected. Awesome. Um, but so 2016 happened, um, and I, you know, I was shocked. I didn't want to go to school that day, and my dad told me, uh, "You have to, because then they'll know you're upset." And they'll see it as weak. And I was like, all right, dad. Okay. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and another boy, he was older than me. I think he was a senior. Um, he was carrying around the American flag on a pole, you know, like throughout the hallways. And I've, I heard this through channels that I should not have heard this from. Um, but administration said to him, you know, like, you can't do that. Like, you're going to hit somebody in the head. Like, they were fine with the flag. Like, he can do it. Like, they, they didn't mind. Um, but, you know, you have to take it off the pole. Like, it's, 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 it's a safety hazard. Mm-hmm. You know, like, somebody's going to get hurt. And he said, if that dyke can carry <gasps> around her fag flag, I should be able to carry the American flag. Oh, my God. Um, and I know growing up in Sussex County that it is not a welcoming place, you know, from running the GSA, I knew exactly how many kids in Vernon were struggling with, you know, home insecurity because of their gender identity or sexual Mm -hmm. orientation. I knew exactly how many of them are struggling. So I knew that Sussex County was not a safe place for the queer community. Um, but that was the first time it happened to me and no one did anything about it. Mm. Um, so it, um, thank God. That's really, that's one of the only like truly negative experience. I experiences I had in my youth. I'm very lucky to have a family that is accepting, you know, I had some family members who thought I came out too young. Um, I came out when I was 14. Um, but that has subsided now. And I, you know, I'm very thankful that that is the extent of my, you know, my fight, my negative experience within my Mm -hmm. family. Um, but it's just like, it's, it's wild because like, that's the worst thing that happened to me, like as a youth. And that is probably just another day for somebody, um, who's trans or who's, you know, who's in, in a different area. Um, But I knew that, like, it was so much worse for other youth just from running the GSA. Like, there was someone who um, would would hide another bag of clothes, like a gym bag, and then change when they got to school. Because their parent, they couldn't dress and present how they wanted at home. <sighs> um, there was someone who was living with their girlfriend because their parent had thrown them out. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and, it, and this was like 2018 and some of the teachers were like, how is this happening in 2018? Like how are kids still being kicked out of their homes and how are people like not accepting yet? And it's like, it, that's our job, you know, like, mm-hmm. unfortunately as queer people, as out queer people, especially, you know, when you take a leadership position in the community, a lot of you become an ambassador, whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have to share your stories and your personal experiences to humanize yourself to, mm-hmm you know, to your own family or politicians. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it's a lot easier to um, hate somebody you've never met. Yeah. Um, it's funny. There was, um, I forget where it was, but there was a state. Oh no, it was a Congressman. One of the congressmen who voted against, you know, codifying gay marriage into the constitution uh, three days later went to his son's gay wedding. Oh yeah. And that just ties right back in to it's not going to be a problem for, you know, wealthy white people. Right. No matter what happens. Right. Um, they'll be able to, you know, live as partners. They won't have to, you know, they won't have to worry about, you know, how you need to have insurance, you know, the married insurances yeah. or wills or stuff like that. Because they'll have wealthy lawyers to care about for them. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, 
See, that's my queer tangent. And that's really why I started Sussex County Pride. Um, mm. It was meant so that LGBT youth in this area could come to a pride so that they didn't have to get themselves to New York City. They didn't have to, you know, out themselves as their parents for a ride or stuff like that. It's so much, even though, I mean, Sussex County is the worst in terms of transportation, but it's so much more accessible to go on a 40 minute drive with your friend from Wantage to New Inn than it is to try and get yourself to the city. Cause you know, at mm-hmm. the time, you know, Montclair pride didn't exist. Morris County pride didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, the closest New Jersey pride I think was Maplewood, which is over an hour away for most of the people in Sussex County. Um, and it's small, but I've seen the impact already in the six years that we've been doing an event, had an online presence like teenagers came out to me, came up to me and said, like, you are the reason I came out. Mm. And it's just like wild to me. Cause I'm like, I just put, I just get a permit and get, get a DJ. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? But it really, it's like representation is life-saving mm-hmm. and the closer that representation gets to you, it's like, it, it, it leaps and bounds. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my little tangent, my queer tangent. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a lucky guy. I don't, I don't have, um, too many crazy stories, thankfully. I'm very lucky. So I'm really curious to know, you know, along those lines, being a very active activist as you are. I mean, we talk about the idea of burnout, you know, because it's these things, these these issues are so emotionally draining and we there are big feelings around them. And um I don't do nearly as much as you do, and I still experience the burnout. So I'm just curious to know if you experience that, and if you do, um, how do you manage that? Um, I do and I don't. It's something my therapist and I are talking about. Mm-hmm. It's a big concern. We love therapy like, around here. Yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, um, I'm in a unique position where – a lot of people would experience burnout if they matched how much that I do. And that sounds very egotistical, but it's something I've discussed in therapy. I have, um, I had a really adverse childhood for other reasons that are, you know, exclusive to my identity. You know, um, if you ever heard the adverse childhood assessment, uh, the ACE Mm -hmm. assessment, I have a nine. Oh, wow. So it's nice and high. (laughs) Um, I want to say congratulations, just, but not really. <laughs> no, it's, it's, I mean, like, I think it's hilarious, but, um, no, it's not, it's not a good thing. No, um, no. And, you know, I think I'm just, and I've discussed this in therapy. Shout out to Caitlin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I've just been kicked into overdrive my entire life so that I don't stop. Um, I do better mentally when I'm busy. You know, whether that be with election stuff, with pride stuff, with my job, um, you know, I am somebody who needs to keep going. I'm someone who thrives in a crisis and under pressure. Or no, mm-hmm. I shouldn't say thrives. Does well in a crisis and under pressure. You know, I'm someone who, um, like, for example, like if somebody is hurt, like I'm the first one to assess if we need to call an ambulance or if we need to do something or get somebody wall. Like I'm a jump into action kind of person. Mm -hmm. And since 2015, I've seen action that needed to be taken um, with the GSA. When I was, you know, my later years in high school, I ended up 
organizing a walkout over the hiring of a principal. And then I started going to school board meetings and it was just like, go, 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 go. Mm-hmm. Um, even during the pandemic, like I was able to still do, you know, election work. So as somebody who is constantly kicked into gear, it feels worse when I'm not doing anything. Mm-hmm. So the love, so when I experience burnout, it, you know, it manifests in other places other than my work, which is not super healthy, but just how I deal with it. <laughs> um, you know, this is not good advice to take. Uh, this is how I do it. Um, but I also know at the end of the day, like, say I was mentally well, um, I would need to be doing something. Um, whether it would be pride or, you know, getting people elected, it would, I would always need to be doing something. Um so I don't have advice on burnout because I'm really bad at, you know, mm. knowing when to stop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's just like, I know there are people who feel the need to do something and don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't know where to start. Yeah. They don't know, you know, who to go to, what organizations to do stuff with. Um, if you're local to New Jersey in Sussex County, come do work for Sussex County Pride, please and thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but my advice to anyone, you know, if they want, I mean, I personally, I know that we've criticized the Democratic Party in this podcast, um, which is totally valid. I still would recommend getting in touch with your local Democratic committee if you want to focus on elections, just because I personally think I, I, I think the federal level of Democrats, not only are they just you wouldn't impact as much change there. They, they're, they're covered. They have staff. Yeah. They've got money. But there are people on a local level who probably are much, much, much further left than um, mm, the Democratic platform who, you know, are going to make impacts in your community that you can directly impact. You can right. knock on doors for those people. You can volunteer for those people. You can make phone calls for them, text for them, go to meetings on their behalf, and you can see that your impact. Um, mm. And it's people who need it the most. Like, they're not getting thousands of dollars from you know the democratic party like they're lucky if they get a 25 dollars donation from their grandma like if they want to run for (laughs) office Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and it's just how i've been able to it's it's the only reason i'm truly involved with the democratic party at all still is because i'm on my local committee and i try to get good people elected because it's like that board of commissioners like that's an entirely republican board and it has been for 40 years Mm. um we're the only people who are going to do something about it. You know, yeah. Nancy Pelosi is not going to come down and do an event with us. Like, right. Absolutely not. She's California right. doing whatever she does with her two fridges. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like I, I can attend meetings with people who are candidates and I can go to debates for them and I can knock on doors for them and help with their social media. Like every, everyone needs help. And so that's just how I do things outside of pride. You know, pride is a nonpartisan organization. It's an advocacy organization, but we'd never engage in partisan politics just because it is so, um, I'm for, it, it is so isolating for some people, mm-hmm. you know, it's just people, you know, they, I, I like to, I like to see pride as a gateway to, um, politics just because people, they, they think they don't want to be political. They mm-hmm. think that, you know, Oh, I don't, I don't get into all that. Well, politics is interested in you. And it, it, it dictates your everyday life, right. you know, mm-hmm. how much you are paying for gas for one or how much you're paying for clothes. You know, how did that get here? What were the shipping policies? What are the ingredients in your food? Those are policies that are set by legislation. Mm-hmm. And of course the human rights aspect, you know, it's mostly, I'm seeing it's the most people who are like, Oh, I don't want to do that. Are, you know, white gay men. 
Mm. Um, mm. But, you know, politics, a, a Texas judge just said that um, employers do not have to cover a prep with their insurance. I saw right. that. Um, yes, yep, saw that. Yep. Which is bonkers. So horrible. Prep yeah. is extremely expensive without insurance. And it is one of, the, it is the only uh, for sure way of preventing HIV. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, aside from, you know, protection and all that stuff. But Right, right. Um, and it's also something that's mostly exclusively used by the LGBTQ plus community right. and it was done on their morality thing. He said that mm-hmm. it was a religious exemption. The right. judge. Um, so politics is interested in us and if we, if ignoring it, we'll ignore it until it's too late, you know? Yeah, so, that's right. Yeah, that's better right. to get that's ahead of it. That's my recommendation, but I'm bad at burnout. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate the honesty there and that's, uh, that's just a lot of good, thank, thank you for all that information. I think that's really useful. We really want to try to be like, look, what are, what can we do? And, and uh, before I shut up, I just wanted to say to you that, um, another thing we say on this podcast a lot is that, um, right, like if you're going to sit around and wait for the perfect mm-hmm. political party party before you before you get engaged, you're going to be waiting a long, long fucking time. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like there is one party that is demonstrably worse than the other, like demonstrably worse, obviously. The, the, right. So it's like stop pretending like these things are the same and mm-hmm. and, and, and let's do what we can. And, and what you're saying to getting on the local level where. It really does matter, right? You can actually see the impact of what you're doing to help, uh, like, and also, like you said, a candidate that is going to that is oftentimes far to the left of the national party because the national mm-hmm. party has to have it has to be a really big tent in the way that someone who's running for a county doesn't have to be, right? So, um, great points yeah. all around, and I'll, uh, yeah, that's what really struck me the idea because you know I I. I I have thought about and sort of been aware of the idea that like focusing on the local level for, in terms of politics is uh, the way to go. But I had never really considered that that's how you're going to get more uh, progressive candidates in office. And I think that's a really, really good takeaway. Um, but yeah, that's really uh, helpful advice, Zoe. I really appreciate you. Um, do you have anything else that you wanted to to talk about, to bring up? Any more final comments? Oh, geez. Well, I've talked a lot. Um, <laughs> That's what you have I given you. We want to hear from um, you. <laughs> no, I, um, the most important thing um, going forward is that if you are in a position where you're, you know, you're cis, you're, you're in a position of privilege and you're straight or just straight passing, you know, in a position where you can defend someone, it is so important to be an ally. And mm. allyship is making space for other people's voices to be heard. Um, but allyship is also saying something when trans and queer people can't say something. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're at a job and your boss misgenders, you know, another employee and you know that, you know, say something. Mm-hmm. Um, they might be in a position where they can't say so. If you are in a position to do something where a queer person is not, absolutely do something. Um, allyship is just as much about your own action as it is about listening I think those two play hand in hand, you know, listen to people's experiences. You know, I, as a cis person, you know, it is not my place to talk about the trans experience um, to other trans people, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But it's also my position as, you know, an 
I, you know, I'm a lesbian, but I, I you know, I'm cisgender. I, I identify with the pronouns and gender I was assigned at birth. It is my duty as an ally to the trans non-binary community to speak on their, on, you know, the struggles that they face because they can't talk about it either because they're not alive anymore or they're not in a position where they can, mm. or they don't have the platform, you know? Right. Um, so listening is important and doing something is just as important. Um, you know, putting your pronouns in your Instagram bio is great, but you know, there is real legislation against the trans community um, that we can do something about, you know? So ally, sh- you know, we've talked a lot about well, what the community experience is, but just being an ally is something I wanted to highlight as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, as far as that goes, do you, just for me personally, do you have any uh, suggestions for um, where I can find out about legislation that might be upcoming or any kind of like local um, actions that are coming up that I can take part in? Sure. So um, in New Jersey specifically, um, the Gardens of Equality is an amazing legislative advocacy organization. Um, They were instrumental in getting um, HIV decriminalized in New Jersey, instrumental in getting LGBTQ plus education in schools. So following them on social media is great. Um, I personally, I work at a Pride Center that is um, a health and wellness center, but, you know, follow us at New Jersey. Um, Mm -hmm. And then also the New Jersey LGBT Democratic Caucus is another really wonderful resource. Um, Great people run it. And they work hand in hand with Garden State Equality in terms of legislation for the LGBTQ plus community. New Jersey is a really, really, we're really ahead of the curve Mm -hmm. in terms of um, LGBTQ plus equity. Um, we're also just one election cycle going wrong from that all going right. away, sure, um, sure, which is really sure. important to consider. Yeah. Um, some things are a lot harder to get rid of, you know, gay marriage has been codified into our constitution. It will, it's a lot harder to undo that. Um, however, you know, the curriculum that is in schools that says, you know, LGBT history has to be taught, um, that we have to be included in the, in, um, physical education standards, um, that could go away in a legislative session with a Republican majority. Um, so New Jersey is great right now. We have to keep it that way. That is our duty. Right. So definitely those two organizations, as far as a state goes, are my best recommendation. Um, and then again, like your local um, county committees, which are pretty good. And then, you know, if you're in Sussex County, Sussex County Pride, we're the best. <laughs> but again, like, we, we, like along with being an advocacy organization, you know, we go to public meetings, you know, we talk about pride. We wanted to get a pride proclamation through, but we also, you know, we're a social organization too. Like we'll do drag events. We do pride. We, mm-hmm. you know, we'll table at Lunar Fair, which is that witchy night market that's been traveling the state um, mm-hmm. and do a drag show there. Um, it's just as much about the advocacy as it is about, you know, just the social aspect of it, the joy, because not a lot of queer people have that in this area or at all, you know? Um, so that's just as important because there's no like gay bars up here. And even right. if they, even if they did exist, you know, this was founded so that, you know, youth could experience, you know, an LGBTQ plus community outside of TikTok or Tumblr. Right. So. Right. And get the support that maybe they don't have in other places. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for talking with us, Zoe. It was a pleasure. I learned a thank lot. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Difa, you have anything you wanted to say before we wrap up? 
No, just uh, thanks so much, Zoe. Um, it's been a pleasure. It's been informational um, and just, just been great to talk to you. So thanks. Heck yeah. Thank you. Best of luck. Thank you. Well, that was a really awesome conversation there with Zoe. I just, there's a lot of things uh, that came to mind while she was talking, um, both on her take on the larger LGBTQ community and and the issues there, and on her personal experience, which I thought was a really interesting um, anecdotes Mm -hmm. and, and discussion there. And then also, and I think perhaps most importantly, her discussion about how she is, uh, she puts boots on the ground, as it were, and is actually getting stuff done. Um, what are your thoughts? Do you have any comments on uh, on that at all, uh, Liz? Yeah, I thought that it was, um, it's really nice to talk to somebody who, like you said, really has boots on the ground and is um, doing the work in a really, you know, tangible day-to-day kind of way. I think that it's easy, it can be easy when that's not your life, but you're somebody who cares about the issues to feel like, uh, to, to hear about the things that are happening and horrible legislation being passed and just feel overwhelmed and angry and helpless. Um, so it's heartening to talk to somebody who's actually doing it. It makes it feel uh, more concrete, more tangible. Um, so I loved what she was saying, especially about focusing on local issues, local elections, local activism. Um, it's It just, again, made it so much more approachable for me. You know, it's easy to think of things international, not internationally, nationally or even globally because we read about these huge issues. But and that is part of why it's so overwhelming, right? Because it's like, I can't go knock on the president's door and tell him what I think he should do, but I can go and canvas or support my local congressperson um, or you know, donate to or give time to a local organization that helps to um, uplift these communities that are marginalized and being shit on by the government and others. So- yeah, totally. that's what I thought. Totally. I, I I'm I'm with you on that. And I think one of the things that drives me crazy about uh white liberals, and I mean in a weird way I consider myself in that same category, right? I'm hmm. obviously not white and uh and, and and there's no doubt about that. I am black as fuck. But um <laughs> But that said, I mean, I live a white, white middle class life. That's what I'm bringing up, right? So it's easy to be isolated and insulated mm. from the, those issues. And it's really easy then to say like, oh, what can I do? You know, oh, just I'm just little old me. There's nothing mm-hmm. I can do. And I think that is just such a fucking cop out, right? And because there really are things you can do. And this woman yeah. is showing us what those things are, right? Yeah. So there are real things. And what it is, and I'm, I'm a, a big fan, uh, a big advocate of, you know, look in your the, the, 
you have a circle. We all have a circle of about 150 people, right? Mm-hmm. That we that we interact with through work um, and our social networks, right? Like, and this is not even counting online, but just like literally the people that are in our lives, right? And yeah. it's, it's probably probably somewhere between 50 and 150 people, depending on who you are, right? And um, you can impact those people, right? Exactly. I mean, you can impact those people. You can be the person. She said this, right? And you want to be an ally. Don't let bit you. Don't be a safe space for bigotry. It's really right. one. It's one of it's one of the hardest things to do, and it's one of the simplest things to do. It's like when someone says shit around you, you yeah. you don't let that go. And right. even and you and very few people in our lives are going to run around saying the n word or saying the f word, right? Mm-hmm. But. They're gonna say other stuff, exactly. Right? They're gonna imply other stuff. Mm-hmm. They're gonna they're gonna make jokes, right? That right. that are like wink, wink jokes. That like, and if it's a joke that you know you wouldn't say with a black person there, or you they wouldn't yeah. say with a queer person there, or with a woman there, mm-hmm. then you you it's our duty to say something, right? And uh-huh. um, I also really identified with her talk about you know these sort of. Yeah, part-time activists, right? Not even part-time activists, but like performative activists, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the Black Square on on mm-hmm. uh, Black Lives Matter Day, right? On but but same folks are. I mean, I I could bring up examples, even people that I know, right? I'm just like just the stuff that comes out of their mouths or, or or just how they actually live their lives at the end of the day, right? I mean, it's a question is like, how prepared are you to make real changes to the way you interact with people? And again, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be like, oh my God, I am ch- saving the world. But it's like, are you prepared to change, really change the way you interact with the world to, it, it, that is consistent with those values? And and I frankly yeah. think very few people are. I, and, yeah. and it's a lot easier to put the pronouns on your thing. And you should do that, right? You should do right. that, right? It, right? right? She said that, right? You should do yeah. that stuff. Stuff. You should go yeah. to the protest, but it's about more than that. Exactly. Yeah. And you I know? love that she brought that up about how to be an ally in spaces where queer folks can't, where they don't have the same access that you have. Um, and I feel like, I, and I say this all the time about, you know, women. And I think that the most powerful thing a man can do is, as you're saying, speak up in the rooms where women are not. Right. Um, because, and also, as you were saying, we're both f- not friends with people who are going to be necessarily blatantly racist or blatantly right. misogynist or blatantly homophobic. But I almost think in some ways that's you're getting to an even more critical juncture at that point because it's those microaggressions. It's the things that someone who identifies as progressive is unaware that they're doing and and a mindset that they are not aware of. Um, so those little things. So the more that we can point those out and not tolerate them, I do think that that is what is going to create the next level of shift, you know? So you got to work with where you're at. If you live in a place where your friends are like throwing around the N-word, then do that for sure. <laughs> right, like, right, for sure, right. <laughs> <laughs> say something about that. And get some new fucking friends, or, right? Yeah, I mean, ideally. <laughs> But um, but yeah, I think the the it's like the layers of misogyny, racism, homophobia. They they are deep. They go deep. They run deep. I'm still you know uncovering internalized misogyny at 43 years old. So you got to yeah. I feel like that's the easy one of the. I mean, it's not easy. It's very uncomfortable. Um. But that discomfort compared to the actual suffering of a group of people mm-hmm. is 
insignificant. And Absolutely. it is so, I think, very, very powerful and impactful. So I, th I think so. And, you know, we, we, I know you and I can just start going and just start talking. And we shouldn't do that, right? Because well, just this podcast ends up being a two fucking hour podcast. But, um, <laughs> but I will say just on that note, because one of the so often I, I you're I, I guarantee that you are the same person in a lot of people's lives that I am in their lives, which is the voice that's constantly talking about social justice, right? Mm -hmm. When they, A, don't even want to hear about it, <laughs> A, B, getting, like, do want to hear about it, or, and, and but, but also C, don't really want to do too much about it, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that, like, so, so often I'm like, again, you don't have to necessarily be Zoe Heath, she really is sort of a bit of a superstar, right? Like she's yeah. like, and, and, and she's made this, her career in a sense, right? Her life and what she actually does every day. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But one of the things that we can all do is learn to be introspective and be like, and we, you and I are like this, right? So we're kind of fortunate, we kind of have a leg up in that way. But like, and, and we talked about therapy on the, on the, in the podcast as well, like, look inside and be like, look, where am I? How am I dealing with internalized misogyny, internalized mm -hmm. racism? And like, and how am, like, start peeling back those layers. And that means asking questions about uh, of yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Like, how can I be better? And if I, I mean, I, I just I'll use an anecdote that I won't use the person's name. But if, if, if I am in a position where I don't feel comfortable saying, uh, talking about black people to a black person, you know, if like maybe maybe you need to look inside. Yeah. If, if if when you're talking to a black person, you start feeling like, oh my god, um, and I don't mean that you don't you you don't want to say the wrong thing. Of course, you don't want to say the wrong thing. I get that. But I try to talk about this in terms of women. Like I don't feel uncomfortable talking about things that matter to women to women. Right. Like I really really don't because I actually care about them. Right. I'm not being performative. I really do fucking care. So like. I think that if like if if you're feeling that inside, maybe that means you gotta look a little deeper. Yeah. Maybe that means you gotta get into the issues a little more. Maybe that means you gotta do a little more reading and get a little more background, right? And like mm -hmm. that's a great starting point because like you said, if we can feel I think you said this during the show, if we can feel these things personally, right? Mm -hmm. If we can start making these our personal issues because we understand them, right? Mm -hmm. And I can look at my wife and be like, holy shit. Or you, Liz, and be like, wow, like I'm yeah. not thinking about this in the abstract. I'm thinking about this in terms of a woman who I care about, who is a friend, who is somebody who is in my life. And it's like, holy shit, this is actually impacting her and mm -hmm. real people that I know. And that, that should fucking matter to me. That yeah. should fucking matter to me, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's also similar to this this concept that I use all the time when it comes to um, uh, sexism that you where you flip it, you know, you, you flip the roles, mm -hmm. you see... Because it's a really good way to see, first of all, the absurdity of a situation, and second of all, to personalize it, right? So imagine if we were told that, you know, straight people, we may not be able to get married if uh, the right. GP gets control. Like, can you imagine? <laughs> right? Like, so, yeah, and uh, it's... I guess that's just humans. It's unfortunate that we have to do these mental gymnastics sometimes, but, if you know, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, we, we got to do it. And this is right the first step 
the really the most basic step of allyship, right? It, it starts on the in start start with that inside job and work your way out. Yeah. And I and I and I think the more you do that inside work, the more the outside work starts to seem to matter to you, right? Yeah. And then and and you know and and it becomes personal for you, and you want to then do something, something, yeah. right? Even if it is just informing the people that are in your personal network that a I am not a place for misogyny or bigotry of any kind uh you know homophobia transphobia I am not a safe space for this you mm-hmm. better be ready to be on blast if you say that shit around me and mm-hmm. second and second of all like here's a bunch of issues that you aren't thinking about that you better start thinking about and if you want to be friends with me you don't mm-hmm. have to be but if you do want to be this is going to be fucking part of it this yeah. is going to be fucking part of it right yeah. um yep yeah I, I think that's the, the 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 least we can do um well i guess that's about it i i want to really thank you liz obviously um as always for 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 running the show um also um zoe obviously um if you're yeah. listening thank you for uh thank you for coming on and 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 just you know getting us fired up about this stuff yeah. being awesome uh, just being awesome exactly <laughs> and uh and everyone out there, remember that if you like our show, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, check out our Patreon, and tell your friends to listen. New episodes post Mondays on all the major podcast channels. And please connect with us on social media because we love you and we want to talk to you. Until next time, please care for each other. Share your experience, strength, and hope with each other and with the people you love.